Hello, Meg World. Um, welcome to the latest edition of the Meg Podcast. Um, been a bit little while since the last one, a um, few weeks, but you know, we're back. Um, we're going to try do do something a little bit different this time from the ones we've done before. Um, it's something we've, um, as a group, we've talked about and, and sort of planned for a little while, and have finally got our fingers out and getting around to doing it. Um, so we're going to be looking at um, using Meg uh, around historical battle refights, scenarios and things like that. Um, no doubt this will lead a little bit into the area of big battles as well, because, you know, one assumes that these won't just be constrained by our normal, well, I say normal, it's normal for these members of this group, perhaps, um, competition style games. So. We're going, that's what we're going to be looking at this time. So this is going to be a, a bit of a discussion episode, really. Um, as I was just saying to everybody on, on this call before, we don't have a structure for it. We're going to see how the conversation goes. Hopefully it will throw up some interesting stuff for uh, us all as gamers. Um, and as part of this, we've got um, a couple of guests. Um, one, Rob Hutton, who's been a guest before, um, starring mainly on the Indian episode, I think, <laughs> with his addiction to Indian armies, <laughs> I think you <laughs> could almost call it. And uh, new, a new guest, um, Simon Stokes. Um, so welcome to everybody. And of course, we have Richard Jeffrey Cook, as ever, and Matt Haywood. Who, who we absolutely rely on because he does the recording and editing. So welcome aboard, chaps. Good evening, all. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank, you, thank you for agreeing. Before we dive into the um, the, the main event, um, I just thought we'd have a little roundup of maybe what we've been doing since the last podcast, because um, it, it may allow people to, to boast about some triumphs or just gloss over... <laughs> <laughs> some lesser lesser things and of course since the last one we've had the um the first sort of two-day um 28 mil magna competition as well which most of us attended mm-hmm. um so maybe some thoughts on that so maybe alice that's that i always become richard for the starting of these things so i'll carry on with that tradition <laughs> thank you nick uh good evening so Yes, I uh, I did rather well at the Magna event, um, coming uh, uh, top, much <laughs> to my pleasure. I'd, um, I, I'd worked at that competition, so I knew the army I had was a good army for the um, for the competition. It should explain it was eight thousand points Magna, twenty eight mil troops on a six by four foot table. And I took later French ordnance, um, which included three um, sugs of light guns, which I had practiced with at Beachhead earlier in the year, admittedly in 15 mil, um, but um, um, used um, at uh, Roll Call. Um, yeah, I had uh, some good early games. I was. Um, very pleased I won the first three games. So on after Saturday, uh, Saturday's games, I was um, positioned nicely at the top and it was then a case of trying to hang on. Um, I faced a tough game against, uh, um, it was Ma- uh, Matthew, wasn't it? Um, 
and oh, Malcolm, sorry, Malcolm. Yeah. Um, uh, my oh, problem there was he was far too smart to attack me, which was a bit of a shame because my army sort of depended on that. Um, <laughs> so I actually had to be a bit more creative, but I got a draw out of that one. And uh, the final game was against uh, Simon himself. Um, and I thought I'd lost that game after he, his German tribesmen, he took an Alemanni army, which was wall-to-wall tribesmen, had uh, swept around my flank and uh, broken one of my units of men-at-arms. Um, and then Simon did a most unsimon-like thing and exposed a flank to my, to my pikemen, who didn't need to um, be asked twice. Um, and I then sort of got lucky with a couple of um, surviving couple of um, tests that could have lost me the game, um, but uh, ended up squeaking a victory over Simon and winning the competition. So uh, I'm very pleased with that. Um, The other thing I'll mention... Uh, is that I have completed the work, or my work anyway, on the Pacto um, rule set. And um, the PDF is just in the process, I believe, of having photographs added to the final version, and it will then be ready for circulation. So uh, that's that's a big task that is now being completed. So. Um, um, chuffed about that. Yeah, that, that that's really good because I um, can't remember if it's been between the last podcast and now. There was the the two days of Pacto at um, Battlefield Hobbies, wasn't there? Um, yes, um, I, I managed one day of that, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I, I just say I think I've, I've said in social media around that is that. I, I, because of the changes that have been made to the Pacto rules that Richard has, has made, with no doubt with input from other people as well, but certainly Richard's been driving it, has, has basically changed my view on Pacto from being very um, not that interested to um, actually I, it's a it's a standalone game that I'm really happy to play. So yes, big thanks to everybody involved. Was- the event was very successful. We had 19 people in total turn up at Battlefield Hobbies over the two days, and everybody really seemed to enjoy themselves. So, uh, a non-competitive atti- um, uh, attitude—is that the right word? Well, um, uh, it was very informal. Yes, informal. Wasn't it? <laughs> informal. So, um, it, yes, it was very good fun, um, and hopefully, we'll see a few more of those. Indeed. Okie dokie. Uh, Rob, have you yes. anything, anything to oh, boast about? Okay, the less said about Rob, all the better. But no, my, my army I actually took along was the uh, early Scots, uh, mostly because I had an old Saga army that I actually converted. So I thought, well, rather than start a completely new army from scratch, I would try and convert the Saga army to a game that is actually any that's actually a decent game. Um, but, you know, I ended up acquiring a hell of a lot more troops for it anyway, so it was virtually building a new new army for that. But my theme was basically I built it around Macbeth. Oh, right. <laughs> the whole thing was around Macbeth. Uh, my camp had witches in it with the... So I wasn't expecting too much of a 
thing. But you know, I'm not always. I'm not one of the greatest make players in the world, and I will happily admit that. <laughs> so, but I just go in for it for the fun of it. I had uh, some really good fun games, um, and the army did as about as well as I expected, and uh, ended up. I think most of the problem was it was too big for the table with the eight. And there was a lot of figures on there and yeah. it just sort of all the games that i played ended up in draws yeah. Yeah. some winning well, something and it was it was it was sort of felt like it was quite slow to play yeah and i think that that's my main take from that i'm looking forward to doing the seven thousand point um tournament in whenever that is it's, it's in july i can't remember the exact dates uh people want to look it up it's obviously mm. on the forum yeah. and anybody who's yeah it, 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 it'll appear on social media yeah. obviously and um if you've anybody who's um on robin spence's mailing list for the emails he sends out at oh. irregular intervals will we'll, it will be notified through that so you know yeah. But yeah, I had, I had four, four four interesting games. Some some were more fun than others. Uh, the only one that I really wasn't looking forward to, and uh, was against Will and his Romans, because he'd sent me the, his list several weeks before, showing me what he was playing, and I went, I don't want to face that one at all. Ended up playing him, but, but no, that, that's that. And but yeah, had had good fun. And but since then, I've been looking at the campaign army that i'm taking guess which up which list i'm going for <laughs> um as, as the whole meg world goes indians yep. <laughs> i got pulled into it because i'm in a new new team this year um <laughs> rather than uh, the guys that i was playing with last year neither of them could make it so we've, I've, I've joined another team um but yeah they assigned me the elephant category so um <laughs> of course it's Indians. I've still not decided which Indian army I'm going for, but uh, it's still a decision, a work in progress, that one. But uh, stuff. I'll be painting okay. a couple more elephants for them. <laughs> more elephants, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, hey, okay, Rob. And that will move to Simon, who I, I'll just preempt by saying say a big, big thank you to Simon, uh, a round <laughs> roll call, because uh, this is an unfortunate. Um, circumstances for a number of people had to drop out for uh, <laughs> the health reasons or work reasons or whatever and Simon very kindly volunteered to step in and cover as much as we needed yeah. um, it, because he, he he was free for at least some of the weekend it turned out to be all the weekend and he he played so that was that was real real big you know up to the Saturday morning it could have been the case of I, I called him and said sorry we don't need you um, yeah. So yeah, many thanks for that. That really helps, Simon. So anyway, how, how over to you for anything you want to tell us. Yeah, about. yeah. I mean, strangely enough, um, I, I attended both of the events <laughs> in, the, in the end. It is, which is, which is highly unusual for, for me. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I was, I was not so super sub at uh, a, a roll call, and uh, and and had a, had a blast at the at the at the Pacto gathering. And uh, both of them took along. Uh, uh, an ancient Indian army, continuing the Indian theme in in Indo-Scythian army. Um, this is a, a 25 mil army that I've had in the back of the garage for 35 years. So, um, so yeah, it was had a had a blast. Didn't 
didn't do very well, but that's that's uh, that's all all part of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's often trotted out as a as a, a trite thing, but yeah, we are in it for the fun, you know, and you can have fun. Um, it, even even in some games, if you're not doing so well, um, yeah. And I don't know about other people. I, I found Meg is quite good for that, actually, compared yeah, to some I, other I games I, I've played. I think I, I think I mentioned it to you that the the, the Indian have have a bunch of cataphracts, and I had mm. in the one game that that I that I truly lost uh, um, as a you know, I, I did a bit better than Rob actually got got a result on some of my games. Yes, I was on the losing end, but the. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, on 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 the one game, I had um, a, a, a unit of cataphracts that that charged the entire length of the, of the table, turned around and charged all the way back again. Didn't hit a single thing. But <laughs> accounted for a unit and a half just in cab tests. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, well, yeah. That sounds good, actually. Which it actually did going length of the table and maybe more leads us nicely on to Matt because I think I think you did that back at Roll Call last year didn't you not Roll Call Warfare Matt with, with some cataphracts they you drove some cataphracts over an inordinate distance yeah I, I well to be fair the entire army was cataphracts pretty much and so uh, <laughs> I, I think I made it to everybody's camp bar my last game I think with <laughs> most of the cataphracts intact so yeah it was, uh, cool yeah that's good yeah. um yeah all I've done is rapidly paint armies or finish off painting extra bits of things for armies and then never making it to the competition since the last time we spoke so it's just been like yeah, between work and health so it's just like yeah i got a load yeah. of painting done but that's about <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. a bit frustrating when you can't get to use the toys i find yes well the 28 mil which i won't say what they are will be making it hopefully into july to your your competition up at um yeah yeah, great. I look forward to that. Okay, I'll, I'll just wrap wrap this up by by glossing over my performance at, at roll call. Um, just a best best summed up by mid table mediocrity, I think. Um, but but had a thoroughly good time. I, I I took a different variety of Romans to Will's, but uh, <laughs> mine were third century Romans. But yeah, no, I had great fun. I'm certainly looking forward to the slightly smaller armies. Um, in July, It'd be an interesting comparison. See what differences army choice people might have. Um, otherwise, I've, I've actually got a fair amount of painting done. I finally finished, well, as finished as an army ever gets, um, my Yamato era Japanese in 15 mil um, Kurazan miniature figures, um, and promptly put in an order for some extra ones just to get some options on it, just to prove an army is never ever complete but I, I i now need to um find a competition to to use them in or, or you know or maybe maybe i can be brave enough just to take them to one of the open competitions later this year maybe BrickCon. um I'd, I'd 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 ask the assembled group here whether that's a sensible idea or not but you know especially matt i'll just say take it anyway because <laughs> it's insane <laughs> so Anyway, so so that, that's that. Okay, thanks thanks for that. So that's the sort of things we've been getting up to recently. But now on to the the, the meat and drink of this 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 podcast, uh, the main event. So looking at how how Meg can be used for historical refights, scenarios, and things like that, because it is a historical based war game. So one would hope it's 
it's very suitable for that. But, you know, it's it's obviously equally different from just going, oh, here's 10,000 points and whatever on the table, randomly generate terrain for in the competition style and whatever. Um, so no doubt there are plenty of things we can discuss and can consider around that. Um, Simon, Rob and Richard have all got hands-on practical experience of of doing this sort of thing. So I think maybe to start with, it's another case of time for Nick to shut up and hand over to people <laughs> who know what they're talking about. Um, and we'll see where the conversation goes. I'm sure we'll see. What, so, which I'm going to pick on uh, Rob. Yeah, I mean, what, <laughs> he vaguely raised his hand. I don't know if he was yeah. trying to hide behind it to, to kick us off. So, Rob, over to you, mate. Um, what I will say is actually the the when I was introduced to Meg back in several years ago in our club, um, it was a lot of the games that we I was playing against one of the club um, members. Um, mate called Adrian, who Simon knows pretty well. Um, they were actually historical refights. We'd always pick um, armies that fought each other and based on historical battles. So we played, I played quite a few and these were always based around the army list. So we built the armies based on the army lists and the points in, but normally we use about 11,000 points rather than the 10,000 competition. I think that goes back to the early days when the pointage was a bit more before my time, but I'm not. Um, and we just, it's sort of a hangover. And we do tend to play about 11,000 points normally in our club as well, besides, because it tends to give that extra depth of feeling. I mean, one of the games we played, I can't remember what the actual battle was, but it was one involving um, one of the Roman ones the having 11,000 points meant you could effectively have literally two legions what worked out as two legions um but if you'd have put it down to 10,000 you'd be sort of like one legion and most of a bit of a legion but bits missing <laughs> so yeah it's it that's sort of where my introduction to meg actually is in. and so one of the first games i played against richard online during the lockdown we did a historical refight, and I think it was one of the Hannibal, what was it, Hannibal versus, I know it was one that involved Romans. May <laughs> not. Uh, your memory is better than mine, or, or more accurately, my <laughs> memory is worse than yours. Yeah, I mean, it was a while ago, but yeah, so that was one of the first games we played, you know, attempting to play on mine during lockdown which was quite an interesting experience i have to say <laughs> but it did make for an interesting thing so you know that is where my meg interest and it's only been the last couple of years that i've started playing in competitions so you know that's sort of where i sort of started in meg so actually just chipping with a, a, a question straight up there then rob is um because he started off with those historical games or historically based games and mm -hmm. matched up. We can look at what, what a definition of a refight is in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, how, how did you find it, it went? You know, were you, were you, were those early ones just using rules as written or? Uh, they were used the rules as written basically straight out. Well, 
I say rules as written, rules as interpreted by. <laughs> <laughs> we always we all have that when we start off with a rule set. Um, so yeah, there are a few things that sort of didn't, but they ended up in some quite a lot of interesting close games. And um, I know we played the, I can never say it, the Alexander versus um, the Indians. That's the one that I can never say. <laughs> and you with your Indian armies as well, Rob. <laughs> I know, but this was, I was actually playing Alexander in that, that thing. <laughs> and that, that game actually come down, came down to a potential mutual break, which I lost, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the ones that you know one of the few games that has ever come down to mutual break that i've uh think but it was a really good fun game and it, it okay it went the opposite way to the history but it did give the feel of what i personally would imagine you know and not being an absolute expert on there not being there not i've read a bit about it but it's not my period really of interest but it just gave me the feel and that's what i love about meg is it does give you that kind of feel of historical battles rather than some games which i felt are just totally abstract and way off you know. yeah uh, there's, there's lots of different rules for, di for you know, different people have different if desires but you know it's, it's it's always good to hear you know edit for any set of rules if if people are saying that because there's this there's one, one thing again from, from that you know you said you start off with I think historical battles you say or at least historically matched armies you know I was yeah. you know because because I would well, I would personally say if I was in my sort of my definition of a historical refight would be you pick a battle Mm -hmm. You know, so your Ikanis, your Hydaspis, or, or whatever, and, and try and refight that. And I, I would almost personally put, the, you know, sort of others into the sort of what if scenario type thing. Um, mm -hmm. Or is that me just splitting hairs? What no, I think there are it, it, there are a lot of things you can get out of a historical battle. You can, um, I mean, to me, part of the interest is actually constructing the army list and trying to reflect the actual sources now sometimes the sources are incredibly vague and it's quite difficult but on other occasions it's um it can be quite interesting to um sort of well what actually comes out at a not a complete points mismatch because the basic principle i would have is that um ancient generals didn't offer battle if they didn't think they at least had a chance of winning and there may be some circumstances where they were forced into a corner um but the in the major battles typically um both sides obviously felt they they had a chance of winning when they started so if if you work out the army lists and you've got um, one side double the points of an, the other side then it either implies your something's wrong with your sources or there's some other factor that's going to make a huge difference in the battle. Um, so I find I find it quite interesting exploring those um, situations. Um, so for the, you know, the three of you who, who've done this, you know, yourself, Richard and Simon and Rob, you know, as part of your setting up a historical refight, 
And I'm assuming Richard obviously has gone through and worked the points. Did Simon and, and Rob, is that something you do? Yes. Yeah, we, we, we always do. So the and it depends upon the battle as well, because the last big battle that we did a refight of was Brunenborough. And essentially, you've got an Anglo-Saxon poem and some sagas. And that does not make an army list. <laughs> so, for some reason, they didn't write their sagas to create an army list. Most frustrating. I, 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 I mean, just, just a complete dereliction of duty, I think. <laughs> so yeah, in those in those battles, you, you, you lean fairly heavily on the uh, on the on the army lists, and you uh, try and build in a few extra scenario rules to to give you the flavour of the battle, and. Often it's it's trying to work out the why questions. So why did the battle take place? Why you, know, you, you touched on it earlier? Why did they? Why did the generals actually offer the offer the fight? And and you know what were the advantages and and disadvantages? What were they what were they trying to get out of it? Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think, think Bos, Bosworth is a good example of this. Yeah. Um, the the way I refought the Battle of Bosworth was um, to add some uh, battle specific rules um the first one was i increased the range of the artillery um doubled it um but then also reduced it by one color so the artillery could shoot actually right across the battlefield um which from the fall of shot from the archaeological excavation of the battlefield we know happened um, but uh, then I also, because I, I used the interpretation, um, and I'm desperately trying to remember the name of the author. Oh, yes. I, I know the book you're on. Mike Ingram. That's the chap. <laughs> yeah. Um, sadly so, passed away last year, if I remember rightly. Yes, um, indeed. So, um, so his theory is that the... A uh, key attack was by the French on the left flank of Henry Tudor. So I actually had the um, French and Scots um, as a um, as a subgeneral's command, but arriving via a flank march, but tweaked the flank march arrival rule so they only needed one red. I also tweaked the fact that Earl of Northumberland was a hesitant command so that he was going to need a red to activate um his command which is the one that essentially can face off against um the the french so that that added interest the battle meant that it wasn't certain we weren't necessarily going to reproduce the actual history but it threw in some options what if the north if northumberland was more active and what if the French didn't arrive when they were supposed to? Um, another, um, and this was purely for fun on the day. Um, this is one of the most bizarre rules I've ever added to a historical <laughs> battle. I had the my kingdom for a horse rule, which meant that if Richard III was losing the battle, he could basically launch his um, an attack at Henry Tudor and uh, it then came down to a dice off um, between the two generals starting at white dice if you got a wound it would go up by a color 
So you, if you got a wound on your opponent, you started rolling green dice. If you got a skull, you obviously killed your opponent. Um, if you got an S, that was stunned, so you got a free roll. Um, and there was essentially it was five dice rolls to either try and kill kill Henry Tudor or um, indeed in one of the refights we did, um, Richard III died as per history. Um, um, <laughs> I seem to remember we played it around your place and it got to that Indeed. stage and, and I, uh, I, as, as Richard III, I, I, was, I was definitely losing badly, but um, so, utilising my kingdom for a horse and promptly brained Henry Tudor, yeah. <laughs> despite, despite the fact that my, my, Richard's army is collapsing around him, he, he can stand there going, still king. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think well, and, and that would have changed the outcome of history, no doubt about it. Absolutely, yeah. So, so yeah. So, Sorry, Simon. Simon. Yeah, you were talking. You got any examples of you you used in your 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 big yeah, arc cages battle? I'm going to say that the the you know one of the uh, things that I think is always always good to have in 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 the historical refights is yes, you have your meg break points, and if you if if the army breaks, then then yeah, you're a you're a winner, yeah. But you also have another way of winning the battle. So if if, if neither army breaks, then like you said, if you kill the opposite uh, uh, commander, or you remain in a, in a in possession of a particular area of the of the battlefield, yeah, you know, then it's it's a way of getting a win when maybe the points would be against you. So I think. Having having that extra dimension to your historical battles is 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 always useful. and obviously something that you can't do in just a a straight um, you know uh, roll up scenario like you do in a in a in a competition. It's 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 having that extra um, extra dimension to the to the game. I think yeah. it was always always useful. Yeah. So Rob. So we 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 had um, in in our we we did a we did the Hastings trilogy of of, of battles. Oh, and, right. uh, uh, in in that one, we had uh, obviously Tostig uh, at Fulfigate and Stamford Bridge, and Adrian. The aforementioned Adrian was in in, in command of of, uh, of Tostig, and and he was he was he was almost un, un, unstoppable. He, 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 <laughs> even even though the, even though on the Viking side that they they lost Stamford Bridge, soup yeah by. A large amount. Tosti actually uh, trounced everybody in in front of me. It was just the rest of the army that 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 collapsed. And it's 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 those things where where you've got a particular character on the on the on the table that that, that carves out um, you know, a little a little story for for themselves. Um, that, that always always adds adds to it. Yeah. Rob, anything? Sorry. Any, oh, sorry. Could please, I, please, yes. Yeah. Uh, as a, I I. Uh, tend to do scenario games because my my only things i tend to get away with is is, is for tournaments and stuff so what i was going to ask was in, in the dark ages refights and the viking viking anglo danish refights did everybody walk away thinking actually the set of rules gave a really good representation of what we thought it would be like did they yes you know, yes yes and, and we and we actually added added to the rules as well because the rules are flexible enough that you can that you can add a little bit of flavour in, and as long as it's not you know, too overpowering. So one of the ones that we used in the Dark Ages rules was um, a rule for Swinehead. Mm. So in that, 
Um, if you've got Born Close troops, you pay a red for the charge rather than a green, right. and you nominate one file as your swine head. Okay. And just for that charge move, they get Dev Charger. And that, oh, yeah. that, that gives you a way of trying to break the ship, because in, in the Dark Age, you know, pretty much every, any, any units that are any good have got, have got Shield Wall, and that is, is a real bummer for, for anyone that's, you know, that's, that's attacking, because you get the Shield Wall at the beginning of the combat and then all the way through it. <laughs> so, so you have to, uh, you know, there is the temptation for units to come up within uh, shouting distance and then just stand at each other, yelling at, at each other until you know one particular brave unit goes in. And if you've if you've got a way of uh, giving a a file of of your uh, huskars or um, uh, or, or your or your thanes uh, uh, dev dev charger for that for that one move, then then uh, it it encourages them to to, to go in. And that was that was that was quite successful, and it kind of worked nicely within the rules. Okay. Was this a, a dev charger that basically trumped the shield wall effect, so it would get the dev? Yeah, shield wall doesn't stop dev charger. It, it stops the shatter though. Sorry, that's yes. a bit I was thinking about. Yes, 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 yes. So yeah. it, it's it, it's just the normal dev, 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 dev charger rules. So okay, right. Yeah. So I was just wondering, you, you could actually make it fit. You could have done. Yeah, you, you got one file, and that special file because you're paying a red could actually get shattered. But that might, yeah, just to, that maybe just illustrates how you could play around with these. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So and and it was yeah, it wasn't it wasn't overused, but it was it was used in 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 particular places where you you know where you where you wanted that that yeah that that unit to go in and 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 try and make a hole. Okay. Right. Yeah. Actually, so you know, actually, because I think there's a, a lot of body of opinion that Dark Age warfare was people got up, got quite close, shouted at each other for a while till, <laughs> till you know, the, the, a bunch of huskars got actually, you know, the social status or whatever, we actually need to do this <laughs> and launched in and dragged people close to them in. So, actually, that sounds a very that's that a very clever way of taking the base rules and using. That's that is interesting to my mind. It is you're using a you're using an existing rule that's yeah. within the game already, but not necessarily within the equal points competition style lists, and just putting a known tested mechanism in mm. rather than trying to create something that's completely new and could be very unbalanced. Which you know, which is okay if you're play testing something, but you know, you yeah. you want your big game because your game was a big, big game. Yeah. I remember from the pictures. You don't want that people to walk away going, "Well, that special rule ruined it, didn't it?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't you, you don't want to make it too too powerful. I mean, you know, there are a couple of rules in in the list. I mean, so for Hastings, there's you, you've got the um, the 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 feign flight uh, uh, rule, which I think on the Bretons is that if I remember rightly. Richard, uh, Britons can take advantage of it. Yes, they can. Uh, uh, so they get treated as if they, if they're a tug, even if they skirmish, if they're in skirmisher formation. Um, the feigned flight actually, I think, provides a lot of opportunity for custom rules. Um, mm. 
uh, because I, I think we the fame flight rule in the rule book is quite cautious so is that it doesn't unbalance competition mm -hmm. gaps but i think it actually is quite boring for um scenario games and you can liven it up um uh by um uh yes requiring the target of the famed flight to be held on a red or something otherwise it goes hurtling off yeah I, I would have to say that that's where i think it didn't quite work in the hastings battle because being on the saxon side we just sat on the hill most of the time <laughs> we just didn't take the pain of what the actual pain you know the fame flight there so that possibly could be something that would change i mean ultimately we did charge down the hill but we did it all together unlike in the actual battle we learned from history as it were <laughs> <laughs> and actually i think we came out victorious in the it did in, indeed yeah and uh, it was it, it was quite uh, telling as well because the uh, you know not long after we did our hastings refights the Little Wars guys did did the Hastings refight with, uh, you know, with with their rules, and they came out with exactly the same set of results, which was which was which was quite kind of nice. Here's, here's a question for for everybody, which is something I've always wondered about around historical refights, you know, because you know we always say you know it's often said you know every single battle we've got record is actually unique in some way. And I was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about the the clashes between Rome and the Hellenistic kingdoms, and, and the 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 expert on that was basically saying actually you know, there's, there's five big battles and they're all weird in some way. Um, but you know how how much do you think if you're setting up a refight you should expect the result to be close to the historical result? I think. It doesn't have to be because you're not doing a restaging of the battle. You're refighting it. So as long as you've got the same worries, the same concerns, uh, yeah, the, the same problems that the that the commanders have to overcome, then then it's a it's a good battle. You don't you don't have to fully um, um, replicate every single aspect I mean, of it. You don't want a simulation because what is I mean my my view in gaming is the point is okay you start with the same forces but what is the point of trying to simulate the thing because you might as well just maneuver the figures around in exactly the same way yeah. and it's quite <laughs> dull and boring and, <laughs> you know i mean yeah there are there are systems and games out there where i've seen historical simulations and i find them very 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 tedious but, <laughs> um you know so I think it's a case if you draw the line at the point where you set up you can i mean this is the other thing is one of the when you do the setup do you set up as the historical forces were set up or do you just take the historical forces and set them up as per meg would normally do i mean i thought i think it was uh one of these battles the greek city-states against sparta um one of the like the last battle that was fought against sparta oh was, was it you'd be talking to how little one so like silasia yeah. uh, or that the one was... sparta lost at the last 
Well, they had that Spartan with some Greek allies anyway. I yeah. remember fighting, fighting that one. Um, we set it up as with the terrain as per the battle, and there was the forces were as per the battle. But what actually came down to in the end was the ability of the players to do that because unfortunately the person I, I mean i was playing against someone who was a lot less experienced than myself and he literally set up it really badly <laughs> <laughs> and uh actually no it wasn't against great it was it was spartans against uh the persians oh. okay it's so... So, that's quite a tricky battle to set mm. up because um yeah. one of the issues is actually where what starting point do you pick yeah. because historically the greeks were trying to redeploy to another hill mm -hmm. and had got halfway through that when the persians uh, attacked them yeah. So do you set it up so that the Greeks are in a mess um, that they've got to sort themselves out of? Or do you allow the Greeks a more free hand, which? I mean, in this, I think we replicated it by having really crappy generals with the, with the Greeks on the right hand side. <laughs> You know, and it was, uh, I think, and then it was, we used the allied arm uh, rules to right. uh, play. So it was like dealing the cards to see whether they actually came out. And I think my, the Greeks, I was playing the Spartan side and the Greeks um, actually, it took two rounds for them to actually get themselves sorted. But by that time, it was, it was actually the Spartans on the other flank that basically drove straight through the, um persians and actually won the battle on that without even needing the other greeks <laughs> so that that was the way that but that i think was down to the player on the opposite side not being too experienced with the with the game so there are i think i think it's the point that in the in the historical scenarios you can really play around with the setup but you know quite mm. nicely there's uh, it doesn't have to be you know just two 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 ranks drawn up uh, against each other we did a, a we also do a lot of italian wars games and so one of the uh, italian wars games that we did was agnadello which is 1509 so it's Venetians against the french and in that battle it's in the part of a campaign where both the armies are heading toward a town the venetians have found a back road that gets them there a bit quicker but the the two roads are basically running parallel, but slightly converging. And the French vanguard catches up with the uh, with the Venetian rearguard and gradually spots and says, there's, there's the Venetians over there. And it turns out that it, the battle starts with the vanguard fighting against the uh, Venetian rearguard. Yeah. And then it's a matter of when can the rest of the army join yeah so you've got if and, and the way that we did that one we did that effectively as flank marches so each command had to flank march with just a single red red card we didn't make it too 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 difficult uh each of the commands for each each of the battles so 
the, the French had two battles off, off board, so they had to get all of their commanders from the second battle on before they could then do the third battle. The Venetians were in four battles, they were in four columns, and so they had to get all of their um, you know, three up columns on. And it was it was quite interesting the way that that one panned out because it kind of ebbed and flowed as reinforcements arrived. So the Venetians initially are, you know, they've got some militia pikemen and, uh, and 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 a few light cavalry and not not very much else. And the vanguard is, uh, you know, some, some French heavy cavalry. But they but they're, they're militia pikemen trying to, and so the so the French heavy cavalry don't like charging pikes, especially when they're on the on the on the top of a hill. And it is it, it's 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 just it's just quite nice having that extra dimension that, that it's, it's not all about the setup it's all about trying to think on your feet and you know work out what do you do okay now the french re reinforcement come up i've only got these i've only got this limited subset of troops how can i counter them with this limited subset of of, of troops it's 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 just a different way of yeah. thinking so, about the game that's an trying to manage the time yeah till you, you know you've got troops that are going to come on but but you don't exactly know when because you're still using a mechanism for bringing them on rather than saying in turn three. That's this, exactly right. You know, yeah. It could be turn three, it could be turn seven if you get really. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the, way, the, way, the way it planned out, you get, uh, you got a glut of reinforcements and then nothing because you couldn't get that, that extra, <laughs> extra yeah. red card for the last unit of the, uh, of the battle. Okay, I was, I was, I was going, this is before I asked Richard to contribute contribute on this one that particular area as well because I know he's been looking at Kadesh as a particular one but do, do you think I was going to ask Simon and I don't know if Rob you're involved in that one as well whether you think those sort of games are particularly enjoyable because of that sort of unknown flying by the seat of your pants for a bit and you know force size can change you throughout the game you know are they, are they particularly good for historical refights? I find them really enjoyable because I mean the other the other thing is a lot of, we spend a day playing mm. mostly, and it's it's a case of you're not like in a competition format where you, you're churning through the games as mm. it were you, you can relax have fun talk about these things you know when things happen you're just like oh my god that happened that's really good oh that's 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 fun and it just adds a bit of a different dimension and aspects to the the game i mean it's still mega this core but it's still it's a different form of uh play it, it just adds that extra um dimension and i mean it, it's fun in its own way just just the rules are just good for both that and competition so i think it really works yeah. so, so richard you you i know you mentioned before this podcast um about you know, I think Kadesh was one example. You've already mentioned Bosworth. They sort of flank marches, ambushes type things and how. Yeah, I mean, the Kadesh battle, of course, is essentially the Hittites uh, ambushing a rather rash Ramesses who uh, marches all the way to Kadesh with only his vanguard and then finds out the Hittites have, have sneakily 
um, de deployed behind the city and are about to launch three and a half thousand chariots sitting. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to do that on a one to one scale, but that's at the moment it's probably on a one to 30 scale, something like that. We could, we could all rush out and buy those two mill figures. You've got more chance of being able to feel. <laughs> now I want to see. I want to see the chair. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, one of the things I've been trying out, for example, is the Egyptians on the first turn. Their commanders only get one card. On the second turn, they get two cards, and so on until they're up to their normal card allowance. So it allows the Hittites to. Um, move into position but they probably won't have enough to completely rip the egyptians apart before the battle starts um so um that um i'd also like to bring up a, a sort of variation on the historical battle which is the uh which i quite like doing sometimes which is playing um two armies that historically met each other but they are armies that you wouldn't under any circumstances pick for a competition <laughs> game and, so and, and, well apart maybe from matt well yeah <laughs> even these yeah. matt might fall <laughs> a bit um, oh, challenge for you matt yeah yeah so um yes yeah, so that um you're giving uh the players troops that they don't normally think of how to use so either they've been downgraded or you've got some weird combinations of troops um i mean a, an example i was doing uh after in fact i've done twice this week is actually um asiatic greek versus thracian hill tribes so okay. so you're looking at the city of byzantium in about 400 bc fighting um a thracian hill tribe but the thracians at this date don't get the devastating charge of melee expert mm -hmm. um so you're very much at a um on the one side you've got the greeks with the long spear and on the other side you've got thracians with unskilled javelin short spear um and it, it just gets players thinking in a way that um um they because the, their natural thing is well i want these superior troops or whatever yeah. and suddenly they find they're they're dealing with combinations of troops that they hadn't perhaps um thought they would have to deal with which um um but th this is a scenario where we know there were fights between the thracians and the byzantines we just don't have any details of what the fights were so as it turned out, one one was a Byzantium raid into Thrace, and the other was a Thracian raid of the Byzantium coastline. And we had two completely opposite results. Um, I should say one was in Pacta and the other was in Magda as well. Um, Pacta, in Pacto, the um, uh, Greeks um, couldn't stop throwing um, skulls and wounds, and the Thracians ran away and in the magna game the reverse happened the um, uh, thracians kept rolling uh, wounds on the white dice and the um greek hoplites <laughs> perished um so uh, yeah um and a variation on the historical refight but yeah, it's, uh, 
And just to add one more thing that I just thought of in terms of the actual setups of the games, we tend to play on a lot bigger tables. Even in 15 mil, we will sort of almost like double the size of the table sometimes to and even you know the number of figures of points you know you just put what you need to do to make it look spectacular the games we played just before christmas um that richard was and simon were down at the club i mean i think we had a larger table on that one i think it was twice the size at Shallot, yeah, so yeah. Well, we probably had more figures as well, yeah. So, but we were playing on a 12 by 6 foot table or something, was it? That's Certainly quite big. Four, I think at least, but it, it was quite a, but that's the other thing you can mess around with, um, so you can actually get the space, so whereas in the actual competition games, like I was saying earlier with the uh, size of my Scottish army, um, <laughs> roll call, couldn't move, whereas on a larger... I had, you know, most of that army was actually used in the Brunenberg game um, that was a few weeks beforehand. And, you know, with that, we had, we didn't bother with the flank deployment. So you could deploy in the flanks. Okay. Is as required. And, you know, it just gave that extra bit of maneuver. Although I did get bottlenecked up with my cavalry in the middle, where that was my own stupid fault for deployment in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, the, the Galwegians went down the the flank in the woods, attacked, and then got absolutely mauled by uh, the Saxons. Yeah, I did. I, I, I was a Viking, wasn't it? I was, I was, I was observing that, that fight from, from, from afar. And there was, there was lots of cries of skull, skull, skull. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it was all the dead, dead Galwegians. Yeah, it was. It seemed it seemed a particularly bloody fight, fight, fight that one. But, yeah. uh, I'm definitely getting a vibe here that certainly the, the ones you've set up have been a case of a, a certain amount of how big a table, how many figures have we got? It's, all, it's almost your table size is being dictated by the number of figures rather than anything <laughs> but, but I, I also guess that maybe the number of players is a, a fact yes, as well typically when we do the big game we we, we have we have six players so um yeah it's it's the it's the, it's the typical setup of um you know center left and right flank mm. yeah and then you have a commander in for, for each of those uh, areas and they will face off against um you know, their opponent and if Essentially, you're playing against your opponent, almost like a, a, a mini game in, in itself. But you're on the same table, so so troops can move from you know from from one table to the next, and and you just have to sync up at the end of every every turn. That's the hard bit is actually keeping in sync with everybody else because the amount of times yeah. you know you've got two players that are play playing through quickly, or there's a, you just you know yeah. you can sometimes get out of sync, so, which is the hard. So we have. Motor. We have we have a deck for each for each sector of the of the of okay. the game. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Oh, you could if if you had the people, you know, would it, and somebody was willing, would it? In some of those games, if they're really big, would it be useful to have sort of a games master who d just keeps an eye on keeping you all in sync, sort of thing? You know. Yeah. We 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 start off by trying to um, uh, do it as you know, one army goes. You know, Okay, then the next army goes. Yeah, so you get three players going simultaneously, but 
that didn't really work. That 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 felt a bit stilted. So we just sync up at the end of the term. Okay, so so in, in your sort of like your three sectors, people it's like the movement phase. They're just alternating the movements till they run out of cards and then at the exactly. end of the phase, yeah. within, you will within stop that, within and that go sector. right melee yeah. phase. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. And and if you're intervening in a different sector, well, it just happens when it happens. Yeah, so so yeah, and what we do as well is if the if if you get a command, so a, a sub commander goes over into the other sector, then it becomes part of that that oh, player's a, a line. You sort of transfer it to exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, Rob. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. One one variation on the table size, which I've done, is playing Pacto on a four foot by six foot table where the objective of the Roman was to get their baggage off the other opponent's table edge. Nice. So um, I treated the ba baggage as battle wagons so it could move on greens. Um, and the path Parthian was just the mix of cataphracts and horse archers. Oh. I was about to say, is, is this a way of doing Kare? <laughs> uh, well, that may have been a certain inspiration for it, yes. <laughs> um, so it, it actually arose out, uh, perhaps this shouldn't be mentioned in a Megpol podcast, but it actually arose out of a strength and honour game yeah. where we'd done the same thing. And I just wanted to try that scenario in, um, in Meg as well. So did, did it, it's quite quite painful for the Romans because they, they um, um, yeah, the, the Parthians can whiz around with quite a lot of impunity. Um, and in fact, the Roman was successful because they held their cavalry back. And unlike uh, poor Crassus, they didn't get their cavalry um, destroyed. And that, that actually gave them enough maneuverability to um, keep the Parthians at bay. But um, yes, there was a lot of uh, Romans using shield cover to <laughs> minimise the effects of um, Parthian shooting. Yeah. Well, you have to be very patient as the Roman player. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. But then again, you know, the Kare um, wasn't over very quickly you know the the, the meat yeah. of the, the the famous battle the romans were very w weren't happy at the end of the day but they they hadn't been broken if i remember yeah, right. I mean, they, the, the army some... disintegrated overnight didn't it? It, it its cohesion fell apart but that was largely as as groups tried to get away i, I mean and there are records i think of legionaries with 50 arrows sticking out of their armor <laughs> um, um, because the Parthian arrows could um, could sort of um, weren't strong enough to penetrate through, so they get stuck in in the armor. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, that's 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 a really quite inventive and creative way of approaching a a battle as well, and yeah, you, yeah. using the different scales of the rules as well, because. Okay, imagine trying to do Kare with 28 mil figures and have a table that's going to that's long enough to make it a really painful experience for the Romans because because that's sort of a core part of the battle. Uh, the, the Romans uh, no. are not having a good day. 
Now, I've never done this with Meg, but one of my other um, battles in the past was the um, March of the Galatians, the retreat from Delphi. So oh. the Galatians have to go through this mountain pass. And uh, basically each turn you rolled randomly and a, a unit of um, Aetolians, so they could be javelin and they could be um, Thuriophori, it was a whole mix, would randomly appear at some point on the mountain. Um, and the aim of the Aetolians was to defeat the Galatians before they got off the table. So if anybody wants to try that in uh, make, <laughs> there's another scenario thought for you. Richard obviously has a whole raft of, of scenarios up his sleeve <laughs> where one player is going to have a really painful <laughs> day. <laughs> so, yeah. Can I just come, come back to something on, on the, which I think links into, uh, again, something Simon and Rob uh, were mentioning about their big the big game. You know, you, you've got your, essentially your, your, your big table divided up into a number of subsectors where people play. Um, and and it might link in a bit to your, your your Italian wars one as well, Simon. Is that it's about, about the fact that is is there something in when you're setting up a game like this in alloc allocating? So it's something Rob said about the the experience of a player allocating a player a role on within that one side that relates in some way to their experience. You know, Rob said he he got the advantage in the game because he was more experienced than the player. He was, he was facing. Are there some in some historical games? We, we, you saw the less experienced player has this because it's a more straightforward. Yeah, you, you try and it's it's not so much giving one side an advantage. It's 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 not lumbering the less experienced player with the really difficult command. Is more the trick of the game. I think the advantage we've got now is that most of the our core group of players in our club have actually got enough experience now to sort of when we do do a game like the one we did uh, with Brunenberg, there was four of us playing that game and we were all pretty well versed with the rules and the game. So it went pretty well. I mean, it still lasted, what, four and a half hours, was it? Something like that, yeah. Like that. But then we had, what is it, the, how many troops did we have on the we, It was 28 mil, so we had about 1,300 figures on the table. The table. So, just a couple. <laughs> so it's, it's big, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, to, to be fair, it, it, it's John at the club who provided the lion's share of those. He's, yeah. he's, uh, he's you know, a big uh, Dark Age fan and a, and a reenactor. And so okay. often, often we go to, to to John to say, okay, what's the what's the brief with with these guys? And say, oh well, yeah, I'd change this and this in the lists. <laughs> so, so, so John's John's our our, our oracle when it, when it comes to uh, the dark age troops. Yeah. Okay. So, so just, uh, possibly you just you mentioned about briefs. So that's, that's something we'll come on to shortly around scenarios because um, at the moment. Mainly thinking of uh, the historical refights, which, as Richard mentioned earlier, tend to be sort of set piece, destroy the destroy the enemy ones. But it's just, just so back to the, in a way, to the point, the question I asked about should you expect a, a refight to have the 
historical result and the, and the answer to that was, was no because there's one that's boring and two you know I suppose we're, we're rolling dice and see and people can make decisions but also it's linked to the points thing um that you're using points as a, as a way of sort of assessing the the setup should should you effectively expect the the side that won historically to be the bigger army in points and I suppose a, a sort of a fun, an underlying question to that might be, and, and I, 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 I'll, I'll say at this point, this is something I've, I've nicked from Phil Sabin's Lost Battles book, is, you know, do we assume that the result of the historical battle is the most likely result rather than it being an edge case of one weird end of the probability curve? Now, Sabin's, Sabin's view is we have to, <laughs> otherwise, because he was looking to create a model to assess um, age of warfare, but do we need to do that? And you know, yeah, I, I tend to say no. I think there are different ways you can do it. So again, go, going back to the Hastings trilogy for the Stanford Bridge, we had equal points, mm -hmm. but you you can mess around with the uh, with the with the deployment. So. The whole point of Stamford Bridge is that uh, Hadrada's guys were not prepared for the fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and as the as the Anglo-Saxons came streaming over the bridge, they were still trying to get their guys in, in order. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Plus they had reinforcements that were off table that they had that were that were coming running. Okay. So although the points were the same, Hadrada was forces were absolutely hamstrung because the way that we represented it was we put the camp in the middle of battle flats mm -hmm. and then we did um uh, rolled a dice with some offsets you know, direction dice to say okay this is where the commanders are and then some more dice to say okay and this is where the unit groups are around them and it meant that you've got an almighty mess of unit groups that are uh you know yeah getting in each other's way yeah and when you've got a whole bunch of Anglo-Saxons coming over the over the over the bridge and uh, advancing up the hill towards you, you've got to deal with what's in front of you. But you can't. Yeah, it, it, there was a, a, a rush just to try and get some sort of semblance of a, a of a line, which meant that troops were in the wrong position. And there was a unit of Scots which were tribal, and they were just stuck behind a unit of Vikings for the whole game. They couldn't. They couldn't do anything. <laughs> Yeah. I think the I think the camp was behind them, so and so they, they couldn't kind of turn around, and and they didn't have enough room to wheel, and yeah, it, it's so the so even though that was equal points, the, just the whole setup of it, you realise what a pickle Hadrada was was in. Yeah, yeah and, so, and that one and that one did play uh, according to yeah. history, except that Hadrada lived. He did. He, <laughs> he did the he did the death charge, and all of his huskars died died around him. But 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 he he, he survived. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Skulls were rolled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. Yes. Okay. As I say, because as I said before this, I did skim through bits of Phil Sabin's Lost Battles, because which I would heartily recommend as a really good resource for for war gamers anyway, but. He was definitely of the view that the the, the winning the side that won historically should have a higher what he called fighting value, which we could call use a, the meg points for. So, you know, to to 
you know, and but, but that's made up of like like Meg points out, commanders and troops as well. Mm. So I think, to, I think to use his Cannae example, if you just look at the troops value, the Romans have more points in, in his system. But when you add the commanders in, you know, mm. Hannibal and his his commanders are such better commanders that the the Carthaginian army ends up with a higher fighting value. <laughs> which you say you could possibly use meg points as a way. But I do take your point, Simon, that you, you can do it in other ways. And I suppose if you want to get intellectual and clever about it, you can say, well, the the, the, um, the disruption of the Viking army effectively means their points aren't as high as the, the Saxons, but you don't necessarily have to start adding arbitrary values for out of position and random, random stuff. So, you know, I don't know if anybody else has got any views on that, that but maybe I'm just... Uh, overthinking this one say so, i mean i i have to say each scenario you the aim is ultimately i think to have a fun game mm. and you take the scenario that you want to play and then figure out the rules and the bits around what i think base that you want to, that you think will make a good game and I think that's where most of the games that like Simon set up, you know, you basically started with the scenario, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, and and then you worked out, well, that's what's going to happen. And I mean, with the three Hastings, three uh, Hastings trilogy ones, of which I was only able to attend the uh, last one, sadly. But uh, it's you started off with that idea of the whole three doing the whole three battles and then figured out what it was going to be and then you sort of built the lists around that did that's exactly right the the, the only thing we did it in it was a little bit like a ladder campaign so there was there, there was a few kind of ifs and buts of you know if this side unexpectedly wins this this particular battle then this happens the only thing that we carried through on that one was the uh, we carried through casualties on the huskars on the yeah. on the on the elite troops because yeah, the view was that you would you would you would just be able to draft in the local feared for you know to to make up your army for for the you know for the rest of them. Um, so so there was a little bit of husbanding of 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 troops in the early in the earlier battles. I missed all that. So yeah. <laughs> I didn't end up for the big one at the end. You, you just got to throw them all away at the end. Because they... no, I was on the Saxon side and we won. Yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was, it, that, that one was a uh, counterfactual. Um, Howard Godwinson wins the wins the day battle. Yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. I think you know. So, so far, we've been talking quite heavily linked to historical battles. So let's maybe let's expand it out. You know, we mentioned scenarios a number of times, but possibly so far in context of adapting a, a historical game. But I just wondering, you know, think of scenarios in a, in a wider sense. You know, some including stuff you just, you just make up. What what would make a good, you know, a good scenario if you were just creating something to make, you know, to make, you know, Rob's point of having a fun game that isn't a, you know, isn't an, another Canet refight or another Hastings refight, but equally isn't just a an equal points competition style game that's got something, yeah, you know, bit a curve ball thrown into it or whatever. You know, what what sort of things. And actually, just before and Rob, Rob was teeing up some thoughts. I just wondered if, if Matt, who Matt's got any thoughts on this? Because um, 
oddly, we sometime before the dinosaurs when I DBM days, um, <laughs> our, our club used to run quite a few scenario games, and um, the guys that organised them did an exceptional job. They were always intensely enjoyable games all, all for different reasons but the, the one thing I, that i remember was it was always about the player having an objective not necessarily to win but they had an objective that they needed to achieve so um one was like a roman hunnic fight is the one that comes to mind uh, sorry hunnic mercenaries in gaul to be precise and you know the, the huns were ambiguous about which side of the roman civil war they were on so they were really looking just to control the river crossing and take as many bribes from the, the outlying players but so the hum player had a very specific objective was was not necessarily to do any fighting it was just to control this river crossing and in meg that would be you know stopping people marching or something along those lines so um in the games i played and, and also some of the mechanics that were used like um whereas meg has a fixed movement fixed range system someone like what well, dbm does as well but uh, they, they they modified that in that there was a random chance at the beginning of the turn that would either increase your range decrease your charge range that kind of thing so you were never quite sure in any one turn that what you had in your head you'd be able to do so you know in, in, and those kind of things that just push it into the realms of um Excitement, I guess. Excitement's not the right word. <laughs> well, it could be excitement. It could be very frustrating. <laughs> yes. Well, well, uh, uh, in, in particular, of the random movement, actually, I think it was Salute one year. They ran a... Um, oh, God. I forget the name of... Um, it was one of Victoria's grandchildren, I seem to remember, in the Zulu Wars, who either got himself killed or damn near got himself killed. Oh, and there was a... Was, it was a foreign prince, wasn't it? A French prince or something? Oh, it could be a French prince. Yes, you might well be right. And and, and the scenario was he was trying to get away from the band of Zulus. So mm. the, and and the and he had a British squad with him, effectively, you know, yep. a platoon of troops or whatever. And um, they 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 had advantages, but the problem was the Zulus threw. Uh, I think they actually used cards, a bit like Meg. And you pull out a card, and if it was like a face card their movement was like an extra two. And it made the game so intense because the British players could take it safe and move far away, or they could, you know, and it was a brilliantly simple game that had you thoroughly engrossed. It took about an hour to play, I remember. And it was just genius level, very simple mechanics that just drove it forward and made for an excellent scenario-based game. So I kind of waffled there. But yeah, basically objectives and mechanics that will give you the essence of what you're trying to achieve with the scenario so i think one of the other things that i probably think nobody's really used much is the actual weather in um like, yeah I've used there are, and i don't think i have ever used them yeah well the, the looked at them the one the one scenario that i keep trying to get people to play uh, is the italian wars for, for novo and mm. there the, the weather rules really do Play and I've got, uh, uh, but no one's interested in fighting river crossings. Especially a river that might flood. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've got because there in, in Fanova there, there, there are three crossing points. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the rains from the previous night that are swelling the river. 
And mm. so they've got rules for basically the, the, the river rising is not even across the whole river. Oh. It, 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 it's, it goes up on the one ford and then the next player along gets to, gets to start to roll to see whether the, whether the, the water rises and then the next player along. So you can, you can play around with that even. And uh, it, it's, but yeah, it, definitely, definitely do that at, at one point when we, when I, when I find some players that don't mind getting the feet wet. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So let's pick up what Matt, Matt said. I think it was about briefs. You know, you know, the example he used about the Huns in a game. You know, where they may not even have to fight. You know, I suppose in a way there's sort of an element of role play in that, isn't there? Mm. Uh, you know, it, it is. You know, so. In in these in these scenario games, which aren't just line up, march forward, fight sort of things, it strikes me that brief, a brief a, is a really good way, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I suppose the, the other part of that is how do you make sure the players read them properly? <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely heard of stories about people who've set up games, you know. They, they could be historical games, but within them, there's you know an objective for a part of the army, and you hear. You hear Games masters, referees going. They just didn't read it. They just ploughed on, and it was it was a complete nightmare. Yeah, yeah. But it just sounded quite important. So sorry, I'm my turn to waffle on again. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's right. I think there's the, you kind of got yeah players fall into one of three categories. The people that will uh, that you yeah you know, if you give the briefing before the, you know a few days before the game, they will read it back to front and they will find, you know, the various different bits of advantage and and <laughs> and they will, yeah, and they'll come prepared to play that. There are people that will read it on the on the morning of the day or they'll set up, give it, give it a cursory glance and there are people just, that just want to just roll, roll some dice. <laughs> so, so if you're setting it up then, how do you, how do you cope with that? Or is it, is it one of those give the right brief to the right person, you know. Yeah. You, a complicated one gets to the person who's going to sit there and read it two days before. There's there's a there's a, there's an element of that, yeah. It's it's, it's just in and, and making sure that, that you've got a mix of people that are uh, yeah. are on each each, each side really. <laughs> Don't put all like the defensive minded players on one side. Yeah. <laughs> mix it up to keep it, yeah. So yeah. yeah and I think with when you're actually doing this, it's also a case of people will turn up on the day that you hadn't expected to turn up on the day, or they will, or people who were expecting to turn up won't necessarily turn up because of life and the universe and everything. So it is, you know, when you're doing a, a scenario, it's it's good. But I mean, if you're looking at doing something like which is based on a campaign, that adds additional challenges into um the whole thing so like you know the three games that simon you know was effectively a mini campaign but they were stretched over what six months you did it yeah yeah it was we didn't we didn't get that close together yeah yeah um but yeah so if you're trying to do it it's understanding what you can achieve within the time that you've actually got as well so you know a club game you know most of our club games we normally play we get through one game in a, in a day you know sometimes it lasts quite a long time other times it will last week and sometimes we even get through two games in a day like we did before christmas with the uh yeah. large game with uh yeah. but, but for me about this this is where pacto comes in because mm-hmm. 
if you're doing a campaign, yeah, then you really want to be playing the battles in in, in Pacto. It's kind of like the absolute opposite of the of the big game. It's yeah. when you're doing a campaign, it's it's the the campaign arc that is the is the one that's that's there that that the people want to play in, and the games are important. But then it's it's not a game generating mechanism. It's it's it is there to service the, the campaign. So the we did again an Italian did an Italian Wars one uh, it was last year wasn't it, wasn't it Rob? Yeah, we, we did it and we and we played um, uh, that one. It was uh, the kind of condottieri period, so mid fifteenth century, um, and 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 we used the Pacto rules for that and twenty five mil figures, and we were getting. Yeah, uh, three three games a, a, a day, but sometimes the campaign turn didn't didn't end in a battle. Mm. So the so that the, the, you know it, it might be a siege, you know that you that you just roll the roll the dice for, and uh, that was uh, that was that was quite fun because although we did it face to face, you know the the battles weren't weren't the be all and end all, and in fact part of the uh, mechanic of the campaign gave rules for a commander if they wanted just to take their forces off the board you know just to walk away yeah <laughs> which which they might want to do as part of the campaign which you'd never do in in a in a in a, in a scenario battle yeah so, so so that was a campaign where you'd be you'd be sort of meeting up for a day's gaming yeah doing a number of campaign moves yeah and if a battle was generated, that could be fought in Pacto. So I was trying to get the head around how the campaign rules would work. Presumably they're not stupidly detailed, needing vast amounts of umpire time. No. <laughs> or, or, or are you are you all such workaholics and work like demons no. and we're generating huge amount of data? No, this this one was actually a commercially available set. Uh, I think they're, they're Italians. They're, they're available from Wargames Vault, so you can yeah, as a as a PDF or a or a or a print, and a bit like a ladder type thing. So there wasn't really a map on it. It was a um, a, a gridded board. So with, with some areas that had um, yeah that were um, uh, fortresses that you could you could try and try and capture. And there were all sorts of ancillary rules about you know you had an objective you know. Yeah. It was all about condottieri. So, although there were you know six, seven, eight players maybe um, in play, playing the, the campaign, there would always be a, a a captain general for each each side. Yeah, and then he would recruit the players, and it was all about money and influence. And there was there, there were even rules in there for 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 art, so you could gain prestige by uh, purchasing works, uh, of uh, works of art. <laughs> Get your Da Vinci in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There were the rules for the for, for, for the Da Vinci. So, uh, so any anybody got a chapel that needs a roof painted? There was actually, I think, uh, the Sistine Chapel. But yeah, I mean that that was very interesting because it, it enables everyone to play. And each turn, I think they had. I mean, at the start of each turn, it was decided which city state would fight against the yeah. another city state. So that was a sort of a random bit at the beginning. So the command, so the each condottieri would represent a specific city state, and it 
would then basically so it would be say Venice versus Florence or the Papal States versus um, one of the others, uh, Milan or whatever. So it was it, it. You started off with that, and then that person became the captain general, who then tried to recruit the other players using whatever influence, money, anything that they you want based on what troops and the type of battle that was actually going to take place or the potential battles that were going to take place and their objectives. So they had the objectives might be bring your opponent to battle or siege three castles or take three castles or something, something like that. So, and you would get points for achieving your objective. And the aim was to become the guy with the most prestige at the end of the campaign. I mean, it sounds fascinating. And you say, I don't suppose is it some Simon, any chance you could dig it, dig out a link for this, the rules yeah, of what games vault. You sounds like you 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 might be best placed to do that because it'd be, I'm sure that'd be something that um, people would be generally interested in. I'm certainly quite interested in, in the. Can, idea. can I also mention another one, which is uh, John Graham Lee's simple campaigning. Available, <laughs> available from the Society of Ancients website, www.soa.org.uk, um, because that, that has some pre-programmed mechanisms for playing campaigns, um, which are eminently suitable for Pacta. So, and that they again use similar things, so there's different scoring mechanisms. And um, in fact, John Graham Lee and his um, uh, cohorts down in uh, the Wiltshire area have have actually used Meg for some of their campaign games. Oh right, yes, yeah. Because yeah. if I remember rightly, he designed those uh, mainly around DBM because that's what they were playing with, wasn't um, it? But, yeah. uh, DBA. They were oh, DBA. Yeah, more, but, um, but I think the the mechanisms are pretty rules agnostic. Aren't yeah, they? they are indeed. Yes, I think. Yeah. As a slight, I'm not sure it's a tangent, but. Um, Many years ago, Richard Bodley Scott used to run a play-by-email campaign system, and you can buy the program from him. Fantastic system, and uh, I basically have a question for the audience, actually. Mm -hmm. If that system has been updated and is now available, or can be available, could they drop me a, a message or drop Nick a message and you can pass it on to me, because I would really like to get hold of it. It was a very intuitive um, computer system that allowed you to build complete worlds effectively um and and uh, uh, much of what simon's was describing you, you you had armies within the game and you could either choose to automatically let it work out who the winner was with a few random modifiers blah 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 um or you could actually choose to manually input the result based on a computer uh, based on a physical refight on the table um and it's been something i've been thinking about for a long time because it leads on to a question for the group actually is there any likelihood of a campaign tournament style weekend is kind of what I, rather than the standard tournaments that we all do and we all enjoy yeah is there some is is, is there a, an appetite for a more structured campaign style weekend where you know people sign up for it and they turn up and you you play through a linked series of scenarios whether they're the same point games or the same armies I don't know, but just something to add to the calendar, maybe. Um, I think that's a really interesting idea, and certainly the 
the system Simon just mentioned, and I, I've vague me memories about the existence of um, Richard Bodley Scott's system. I think that go that goes back to like DOS days, doesn't it? It's sort of pre Windows <laughs> even. <laughs> I, I I was running campaigns out of my university room, so that would have been the early nineties. Yeah, so it's a uh, yeah, you know. It's, I had a game that Richard developed for the Tandy TRS-80. Um, <laughs> that would be 1980. I've actually programmed on one of those, so yes. <laughs> that is old. Oh, no. It's a, yeah, you've opened a whole oh, new no, we're gonna, we're gonna, culture there. Oh, it's going to get, get into serious nerdville here, isn't there? So it's, um, yeah, no, actually, no, I think I, that, I, well, we obviously throw that open to, to the, the the listening public out there, um, you know something you know, uh, along the lines that you know the system Simon mentioned, because obviously that can generate a number of games in a day. Run it over a weekend, you could get quite a few games, or, or you know the the, the Bodley Scott's old system, or something like that. Um, I think that sounds really interesting, and and I, I know you know for. A, yeah, over over the the decades, people have used um, board games as a way of generating that. I remember, you know, when I started wargaming, Kingmaker, which of course has just been re-released through a Kickstarter, um, was was one of the popular ways of generating battles. Um, doing exactly, you know, the the replace the in-game mechanism for fighting a battle by converting the, the the points values for the nobles and the the, the retinue cards and whatever into effectively a point points you put on the table fighting the games that way um you know and um you know Simon Hall is is looking to he has that as part of his Rome Total War game that's in development coming up soon again you can you can play you can sort of roll I don't know, I'm not too too often details but you can roll for the combat's fairly straightforward, or you can play a little mini card game, and or you could fight it out in a something like Pacto. You know, yeah, so uh, the, the uh, Pacto gathering uh, uh, last last month, we uh, uh, on the second day we uh, we did uh, Rome Total War that yeah, used using the uh, the the beta set that Simon's got, and it would be perfect, absolutely perfect for, for, for that. You could you can you can actually convert the cards into uh, into units on the on the table, um, and uh, so, so I think personally, I I definitely go go for that. You know, um, I'm I'm not a really a, a competition gamer. It's it's fun, but but you know, doing the campaigns and the historical stuff is is stuff that that, that floats my boat. So I think something like the Pacto Gathering, where you've got a a full weekend, you could do a, a a really nice campaign with you know getting in many many battles. I thought I think that'd be absolutely perfect. I think that would be brilliant. I mean, I, I love playing Pacto, but you know, linking it up with a campaign kind of thing and actually having sort of a two day event where you actually focus it around a lot of different things. I mean, you take the Italian Wars, for example, that would be absolutely, you know, because there's so many different sides and things and factions where you've got the more factions you've got, the more interesting it becomes. Yeah. Uh, and even when you haven't got factions, you've got that kind of team element where you've got, you know, uh, two teams yeah. of players playing against each other. And that's, that's, yeah. that's always fun. 
I, 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 yeah, Matt, I, I think it's, it's a great thing to bring up. I, I'd certainly be interested. And, you know, as I said, you know, more towards the beginning of this, after going to that Pacto day um, and the changes Richard's put in for Pacto, I'm, I'm up for doing it in Pacto. You know, ask, ask, ask me six months ago and I've gone, you know, Pacto. Can't, can't we play it in Maximus, which of course is <laughs> completely impractical unless you've got a week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to do it in but you know i, I think i think it's, it's an, an excellent idea i think we should definitely investigate that so if you know the, the all of you out there the community anybody who's interested or know people who are interested you know simon said it's it's different from the competition game mm. yeah it's got it's got an outcome and there could be a winner at the end of it <laughs> but it'll be a different sort of winner it won't be the person who's won four or five games depending on the weekend necessarily although they may have done uh, but it could be depending on how the campaign's set up i think that's a, a really really good idea and, and uh, somewhere like battlefield hobbies could be a really good place to run it or, or one of the other shop type environments because um the space therefore if, if you know if there's some if there's some battles going on and you're not personally involved in those you could do something else <laughs> have your own little pacto game alongside it or something else or you know or, exactly because because you, you, you spend you, some got, of your money on whatever the shop's selling yeah because you, you could you've got essentially uh, just a whole bunch of uh sm you know small pacto games mm. going on as part of that campaign turn so yeah. it's, it's lots of small games. It's not it's not like we do, which is one, one big game. Although although you might want to do that as the as, as the final showdown, but uh, but yeah, it, it, yeah. See, that's it's a great. If you sort of at the end of the day, we'll have two hours and run maybe a magnetized game rather than a, a, for whatever is the final clash. If you think it's going to, or, or just the most significant battle in the last round. And, yeah. um, and I'll say one of the things that did come out of that Pacto when the initial um, discussion was happening, there was a lot of players there that were more interested in the historical side of things than the actual competition because they, they literally said, you know, we're not really that into competition. We mm. want to play sort of historical refights and we want the rules to do that. And I know Simon's very keen on, he said he'd design them for historical refights rather than competition. <laughs> Yeah, well, to, to be fair, you know, the, the, although, you know, certainly uh, Matt Richard and myself had, had sort of floated the idea between us sort of, sort of doing this podcast or doing a podcast around this, um, I think the bit that certainly kicked me up the arse to actually get and do it was talking to those guys at at that Pacto day who, who, you know, just chatting with them and they made the point that, you know, a lot of things like this podcast have been very tournament oriented. But whilst, you know, they, they were very kindly said they quite like listening to them, it wasn't what they want out of their hobby. Mm. <laughs> you know, so hopefully we're one beating their, their needs a bit on that, but also throwing up some really good ideas about things that, you know, those of us who are, if you like, competition gamers to put us in a silo, uh, yeah, can broaden our horizons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that idea, I, I'm quite excited by the idea, actually. Mm. My God. And actually, I think Italian wow. Italian wars really does seem to fit. Yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds like we do. <laughs> he says, thinking, "Who makes? Oh no, I've 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 just five hundred quid on Curacao for <laughs> alternative armies. Their figures are really nice. They're they're a bit 
but they do some really oh, yeah. Italian Wars stuff and they're not particularly expensive and they're always doing discounts, I believe, aren't they? So, yeah, mind you, if you're talking of Pacto, you're not talking vast amounts anyway. No. So I think you know, go to I think you, um, Blue Moon do some very nice um, gendarmes yeah. and stuff yeah. figures, you know. Yeah, it lands that. So even if you're buying, you know, 15 mil metal more at the upper end, you're still not paying vast amounts no. for I mean, it. I've got enough Italian war stuff to do, Pacto, anyway, because <laughs> that was campaign last year. I had my Milanese. <laughs> Sorry, go on, uh, Are you sure there weren't any Japanese mercenaries at, <laughs> <laughs> around in the Italian world? Never say never. <laughs> yes. so, 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 so once again, excellent. We seem to have something to blame Matt for. <laughs> I, I always like to come out of these podcasts with, with, with being able to blame somebody, preferably Matt. Although a couple ago it was Philip Powell. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, those yeah. Yeah. armies with his, with, with his cheeky cheeky army. <laughs> I might have bought a similar one, <laughs> <laughs> didn't we all? <clears throat> so yeah, no. So so yes, I think. And again, um, I think it could work really well. So th thank you for that idea, Matt. Um, I'm sort of feeling that's sort of almost a point to wrap this up on, almost a high point, where we, we, we've covered a number of things on the historical scenarios and then they've touched on campaigns at the end of it, you know, which, which, which is nice and there's a bit of big battle stuff thrown in. So, you know, in, in the interests of keeping it relatively, you know, we've been chatting away for quite a while now, which I think hopefully everybody's enjoyed and the listeners will enjoy as well. So, you know, so I said, yeah, let's let's on that point and maybe and go away and look into the idea of doing a mini campaign based around a rule set, maybe like the one Simon said, in and get battles done in Pacto. Brilliant. I'm sure if you mention it to Simon, he'll write us the entire campaign rules over a weekend whilst he's you know multitasking at something else. So. <laughs> Don't even go there, Matt. <laughs> Simon has other things he needs to do, including. is very good at doing that kind of thing. The Simon, yeah, that's it. The other Simon that we have on yes, the other cast, on the other hand, could be have the crosshairs moving towards him. As, as I said, if you could, if you could dig out that uh, war game yeah, we'll campaign, that, that sounded a good a good start. If anybody does have the answer to Matt's question about Richard Bodley Scott's um ages old campaign and of course as richard mentioned the soa publication which i know i've got and i'll probably after we've finished recording this go away and dig it out and have a look at it but i see seem to remember that they were you know it's a really convenient way of that, that is definitely a battle generating yeah. sort of um campaign but you know but with a but with some tweaks as well so excellent so so thank you everybody for for, for, for those contributions, I think you know, hopefully, as I say, everybody out there will find this interesting. And I think we'd love some feedback on this, um, um, whether people would like to us to do more of the um, non-competition ones, you know, yeah, or the, or the non-history ones, which do tend to have a, a competition component in that we just designed 10,000 point armies, you know, or, or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we could do a, do one that 
also talks about how you turn into a mini campaign around, you know, because we do tend to look at, you know, armies and enemies of. So, so, so maybe so that we can expand and um, diversify our content. Yeah, please, please feedback. Um, we, we, you know, because the idea is that this is this is fun, fun and informative for people. You know, whilst we enjoy doing these podcasts, we want people to enjoy listening to them as well. So, I think we just do the, the traditional wrap up for news and announcements section. Um, yeah. Which brings us back to competitions in a way, because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a few upcoming. Um, it, it just, I'll just just remind people of the ones coming up in May and June, thirteenth um, and fourteenth of May. There's the the campaign um, weekend in Milton Keynes, five games over the weekend in a that's uh, ably organised by Will Denham. Um, takes place in the Milton Keynes Shopping Centre, which is different. Um, but does allow us a, a certain amount of showcasing the hobby to the public. And we do get people come up and talk to us about it whilst we're there. And we it's five games over the weekend, teams of three. Um, so if anybody's interested in taking part in that, um, even if you're not three people as a team, drop Will Denham a line or, you know, try it. Sorry, I was going to say, please do, because uh, my, my plans for that weekend, which were not going to be cancelled ever, you know, fixed in stone, you know, never going to move, have been cancelled. So I'm now free that weekend. So I've now signed up for a campaign. So I need one more for a team member, uh, for, for a team. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's out there. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I know Will is very happy to do a dating service for people to <laughs> fit, fit into teams. You know, the more the merrier. Um, and, and, you know, and the, it's running three pools, three people to a team. Each pool has a limited, but yeah, the reasonable number of armies you can choose from. Um, so it, and it always finds a good fun weekend. Um, two, in, two in June, weekend of the third, fourth of June. Um, I'm running um, a basic Crusades theme competition at Battlefield Hobbies. Um, it's titled Outremer and Conquista. So that's about First Crusade to the Fall of Acre in 1291. Um, it's up on the forum. Um, basically, there's a list, a, a list of armies that are allowed for that. But it says basically Crusades. And as already been mentioned, uh, the end of June, 24th, 25th of June, another 28 mil magnet event, again at Battlefield Hobbies. This time we're playing at 7,000 points, um, 28 mil on 6x4 table. So that'll be a bit different from the 8,000 we had before. So. Some of us have got to tweak our armies, you know. <laughs> oh my God, where do I lose a thousand points? I don't think Rob will notice losing a thousand points if he feels uh, Scots again. Bikings. It'll still yeah, be massive. So, so th those are the upcoming over the next couple of months. I don't, don't forget the Tommy's event in Ireland as well. So, oh yes, yeah, sorry, yes, um, absolutely. My apologies for to Tommy. Um, unfortunately, it does clash with the Magna one, but Tommy, uh, Tommy Warden. Is, is running a uh, Maximus event in Ireland at a gaming convention there. So, you know, I certainly encourage anybody who fancies a long weekend in Ireland, um, wants to maybe play some different players, go and play some, some Irish players and support Tommy, who is a big advocate of Meg in Ireland. Um, and I, I believe he's actually going to be also coming over with his, his granddad for the Outremer and Reconquista one. So, you know, he comes he comes to visit us 
and I have to apologise to him quite publicly for cocking up the dates and getting the magnet on the same date as his um, his competition in Ireland. Um, we we need more weekends in the year, less weekdays, more weekends. Wow, I feel. So, that. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so thanks for mentioning that, Rob. Rob no, that's had right. slipped my mind. So I don't know if anybody else has got anything they wish they th think the our listening public would like to know or should know. Um, presumably, Richard, the Pacto will come out. Rule set will come out in due course when. Yeah, I need to find out from Simon um, how the photographs are getting added, and then we'll probably release the PDF first, um, make sure everything's fine, and then release the print on demand. Will that be similar prices, the main rules? Yep. They will probably so. match the prices. Because it, it's, you know, just to remind people, it is a whole standalone rule set. Um, and because of the work, just to bang on about it again, because I'm so impressed by it, uh, the work Richard's done just to, to, to make it more of a standalone rule set rather than the baby brother of, of, of Maximus. Um, there, are, there aren't too many differences, but they're, they're, they're quality ones, I have to say. So, <laughs> hence my interest in a, in a, in a Pacto campaign weekend. <laughs> so, anyway, so thank you everybody for that. Um, as I said before, please feedback. We love to hear your feedback. Uh, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what things you would like to see, things you would like to hear about, you know, be it um, something historical, something competition related, or you know, as we've had this this podcast, something not competition related, but Meg related. So, hopefully, see people across the table somewhere. Um, be it a gaming table or a pub table. <laughs> good night. Yeah, good, good night. night.